guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing so good. I'm still on my little trip, but I'm ready to come home. Nice. I mean, yeah. not nice that you want to come home, but like, nice. You'll stop rubbing it in my face after this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been like doing other people's laundry and stuff all week. It's been, you know. Now it's time to go home and do your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's been so much fun. I've had the best time visiting with my family. So, yeah. So I'm Good. actually recording this episode from a room in my mom's house. So I apologize if there's any weird things about my audio this week. I'm not recording from my typical station. Station. Wow. Please. Nice. Fancy. <laughs> so bear with me, everybody. <laughs> Before we get into the episode this week, there is a big, huge break in a case that we covered last year. The case of Angie Dodge. We covered her in our episode, The DNA Dilemma, and it was back in September, on September 11th, 10th, 11th, 2018. I know this because somebody asked earlier. I don't have all of our episodes memorized. <laughs> and so yesterday, uh, somebody posted in our Facebook group, hey, there's been some kind, there's going to be an announcement today. So I happened to pop up on the, what did they do? That like a F- Facebook Live, they had a press conference. And so I was on there, Mandy was on there some. Oh. And they made an arrest. They made they arrested a guy named Brian Lee Drips Sr. He actually was a neighbor of Angie's. He lived across the street from her. So if you don't remember her story, she was 18 years old, had just moved out of her house, was raped and killed, and there was DNA left. They originally arrested somebody else, and this guy went to jail for 20 years. Angie's mom, her name is Carol. She fought to have this guy's conviction thrown out. It was a whole big thing, but they had this DNA, and they had they did the whole, is it is it gen match or GED, not GED match, 23andMe sort of things. That's how they were able to track this guy's DNA, and eventually they found him. They found him through, like, tobacco he had spit out or something. They had been watching him for a while. So anyway, super amazing that they were able to catch him. The yeah. Iowa police did such a great job at the end of this case. Like the the sheriff and everything really came together to find justice for Angie. So it's pretty amazing this guy has been living his life for 23 years. He was married at the time, had a kid, went on to have two more kids. Just an insane story. I found his Facebook because that's what I do in these sort of things and <laughs> look to see like, <laughs> does this guy look like? So anyway, it was, it's just really, really crazy. But we're so happy for her, her family because – I, mean, I remember when Josh Minkowitz was on, he was like, in these cases, there's never closure. Like closure is just not the word. It's never closure for them. But right. to have a name and somebody to go to jail, go to prison for what he had done to, you know, Carol's daughter. There's a sense of justice, I guess. Justice right. Yeah. Concerned. And it's DNA. So you, you're, there's no disputing it. So it's really, no. it's really something for the family. Yeah. And he came back, like they interviewed him and he eventually confessed I mean, they have DNA. What are you going to do? He even said that he had watched specials over the years about the story. So he knew this other guy was in prison for what he had done. You know, I mean, the guy's a monster, obviously. (laughs) Anyway, it's not like hearing that's going to change anything. But he was following the story. So I wonder, you know, with the familial DNA, it was something crazy. Last thing I'll say about it. It was like an obituary that they found his mom his mom's name and like they had no idea he existed because she had been married before it was some kind of change in names which is why he wasn't on their radar for so long even though they had this dna so it was fascinating if you get a chance to watch the press conference 
if I can figure out how to link it, I will link it in our show notes because it's truly, truly amazing. And they did just a really great job. So Mandy, my gosh, I am winded. Let's get into this week's story. Perfect. So Valentine's Day is supposed to be a day that we celebrate those that we love. But for Thelma Butler, she was eagerly waiting to celebrate over an early dinner with her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend. But this dinner never happened. And this day to celebrate love turned into a mother's worst nightmare. Pamela Butler was an accomplished, disciplined, and successful 47-year-old woman. In her early years, she grew up in a really rough area of Northwest Washington, D.C. with her mother, Thelma, and her brother, Derek. And before we get into the details of this week's story, we're going to tell you a little bit about where it took place in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Washington, D.C. has a population of around 633,000 people as of the 2012 census. It's also our nation's capital. We are not going to get political, but there is a lot of political things that happened in Washington, so you'll hear historical facts, but not with a political bias. So here we go. Two American presidents, you'll like this, Mandy, actually kept alligators at the White House. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Herbert (laughs) Hoover and John Quincy Adams had pet alligators during their time at the White House. And I think Herbert Hoover's son even had an alligator. Like, there were plenty of alligators in the White House. It's pretty large, so I guess you could do it, but, like, I didn't know alligators <laughs> were inside really at any point. So that uh, that was an interesting one to me. The next one is if you go to Washington, D.C., they're actually – all the streets are labeled with letters, so A, B, C, D, etc. But there's no letter J. There's no J Street. And that's because during the 18th century, the letters I and J were pretty much interchangeable, and Thomas Jefferson actually – wrote his initials as T.I., which is one of my favorite rappers. So I yeah. thought that was, <laughs> was kind of cool. So D.C. actually averages 39 inches of rain every year, which is actually more than Seattle, which that's something I absolutely had no idea about. Seattle's getting all this credit for their rainy weather, and here we have D.C. on the East Coast representing all of the floods, <laughs> all yeah. this rain all the time. <laughs> So the original phone number for the White House in 1878 was simply the number, what number would you guess, Mandy? Um, One. One. Good job. I was right? Yeah. (laughs) How many people called the president (laughs) that were just like kids prank calling all the time? Like one, one. And you know, the president had to be like, all right, we have to come up with a better number here. Like this, it's got to get a little longer. This is getting out of control. So a phone wasn't actually installed on the president's desk in the Oval Office until 1929, but that first number was one. And so I guess, yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. Lastly, Washington is home of several famous people. A lot of them politicians. We're going to be skipping that. But people like Allison Hannigan from American Pie and How I Met Your Mother, but that show finished. Wait, when did this show finish? It finished a couple years ago. I heard the ending was terrible. I didn't follow it, but people know her from that. And (laughs) this is terrible. And Christopher, this looks like Seaman Maloney from Law and Order SVU. (laughs) I couldn't think of any other way to describe him. (laughs) He says it all the time. Uh, Comedian Dave Chappelle is from Washington, D.C., Connie Chung, who is the famous journalist, but most importantly in my heart, she's married to the Maury Povich. And Mandy, I've just received the results of your lie detector test. And the (laughs) results show that you are not the host with the worst jokes on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like my house is so hot right now. We turned off the AC too soon and I'm just burning up. It's Florida. It's killing me. I'm dying. Go ahead, Mandy. That was awesome. So Pamela was always driven to excellence and she really wanted those around her to also strive for higher things and bigger things. She was very meticulous in her organization and her cleanliness, and she kept her house a very specific type of way. She was also really bothered when those around her were not as orderly. Her brother had said that she was always the one running around the house cleaning, and their house was always spotless, and it was all thanks to Pam because she just wanted everything around her to be neat and orderly. She was incredibly smart and very hardworking. She received a bachelor's degree in information technology and a master's degree in public administration, both from American University. Starting with an internship at age 18, Pam explored many different opportunities in various government agencies throughout her professional life. But she ultimately landed at the Environmental Protection Agency as a senior computer systems analyst. She was able to establish her life and buy a single-family home in a very nice neighborhood in D.C. with a Mercedes and a Jaguar in the driveway. She worked hard to achieve her success in building her life and wanted the rest of her family to aspire for more in their lives, as I said before. She even tried to get her brother, Derek, to apply for a job with the FBI, which seems like something you only would apply for if that's what you really wanted to do. But Pamela was really pushing him like to go that route. He was happier where he was at, though, working in the school system. Derek and Pam also worked together on real estate investment projects to supplement each of their incomes. This probably was more of a way to help out Derek since Pam was making a six-figure salary at her job already and, you know, she didn't really need a lot of extra income. So she was probably just doing this, you know, as a way to help out her brother. Pam's mother, Thelma, described her daughter as kind and generous and said that Pam even funded her mother's trips to the casinos where they would go and, I guess, spend time together. She took in her nephew, Brandon, and raised him as she would her own son. But Brandon was a teenager at the time. And, of course, he had all of the teenage, you know, not drama, maybe drama is the right word, but he was a teenager and he was living under her roof. Even with all of the success in Pam's life, she felt that something was missing and that something was that she wanted somebody to share her life with. She wanted to find that special man that she could settle down with. In September of 2008, Pam met a man named Jose Rodriguez Cruz on the dating site eHarmony. He seemed to be the ideal partner and he was charming. He had previous service in the army, which is something that Pamela would have really valued because she was a very disciplined person herself, and so that would be a quality in another person that she might be attracted to. Jose also treated her and her family with great love and respect. Pam's mother, Thelma, commented to Dateline that he was really the perfect gentleman, and Pam's brother, Derek, really liked him and said that he was just a really nice and friendly guy. But what Pam didn't know was that Jose actually had a very, very dark past. While in the Army, Jose was enrolled in the Domestic Violence Containment Program. He was married twice before his relationship with Pam and had a pretty violent history with women. According to the D.C. Witness, an Army mental evaluation document revealed that Jose had a, quote, personality disorder of mixed typed with histrionic impulsive and borderline features with unpredictable behavior, inappropriate and intense anger, which leads to antisocial acts. He was recommended to be discharged from the military in 1998 because of multiple violations in a short period of time, according to the same paper. Pam was in the dark about his violent past, and family and friends commented that Pam really seemed very, very happy with Jose. 
A few days before Valentine's Day in 2009, Pam called her mom and told her that she and Jose would like to take her to dinner for Valentine's Day. Thelma was really surprised that her daughter and her new boyfriend would want to include her in their very first Valentine's Day together, but Pam reassured her that they both wanted to be there. So Pam told her mom that they would be happy to bring her out for Valentine's Day and that they would pick her up at 3 p.m. on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day came and so did 3 o'clock. There was no Pam, no Jose, and there was no calls. Because Pam was so ultra meticulous and super organized, Thelma was shocked that she didn't come. She called her repeatedly over the next few days, and she was sick with worry, so she enlisted the help of her nephew, Brandon, to take her over to Pam's house to see what was going on. So her mom knows something's wrong. There's, it's very obvious with the type of personality Pam has. She's not going to leave her mom hanging, not return her calls. Like, there's something that's not right here. I'm not sure exactly when, but Brandon had recently moved out of his aunt's house, but he still had a key. Immediately when arriving at the house, Thelma knew something was wrong. There was mail piled up around the front door of the porch, which is something that Pam would have never done. Inside the house, it was really an utter disarray. There were papers all over the floor, bedding and pillows were carelessly thrown on a bench at the foot of the bed, and the sheets from Pam's bed were missing. While the whole scene was disturbing to Pam's family, the thing that stood out to Thelma the most was a window blind that was lifted from the bottom. So these are the kind of blinds that you can either lift from the bottom or pull down from the top. And Thelma knew that Pam would only ever pull the blinds from the top. She didn't want people to be able to see inside of her house, so she would have never done it the other way because there would have been direct access for people looking inside their house. It's like how I, like, I'll open my front blinds, but I do that, like, tilted way so people can't see in, but I can see out. Like, I'm really... Right. onto something. Same yeah. idea. Like <laughs> Thelma would have never had it where it was like right in the middle, open, where you can see right out and see right in. So along with being orderly and clean, Pam was also very concerned with her personal safety and the security of her home. Being a single woman living alone most of the time with seemingly valuable assets, she installed a pretty extensive security system at her property. She had a motion-activated floodlight, an alarm system, and cameras that captured virtually every part of the exterior of her home. Knowing all of this, her mom was definitely really concerned and called Derek and told him that he needed to go over to his sister's house immediately and try to find out where she is and what's going on. The first thing that Derek commented on when he arrived at Pam's house was that the window had this blind up and that was not something that Pam would typically do. So her brother noticed it right away. So that tells you it was really that unusual of, you know, to see something like that at Pam's house. Derek listened to the numerous voice messages that were on Pam's answering machine. Many of them, of course, were from her mom and a few were from friends. And there was one from Jose asking where she was and when they were going to be picking up her mom for this dinner on Valentine's Day. There was also a note by the phone from Jose asking where she was and to call him when she came home. This would mean that Jose had been in the house, of course, after Pam has gone missing, if he's been able to leave a note, right. you know, on her on her desk inside of her home. Derek immediately called Jose and asked if he could just come over and speak to him. And when he got there, he really boldly questioned Jose about Pamela's disappearance. Jose was very cooperative and very friendly and didn't really seem like he had anything to hide. And he even let Derek go through his whole entire house, his closets, his drawers, everything. And he even asked Jose to take off his clothes to see if he had any scratches on his body, which he didn't. I thought that was so interesting, though, that he like thought that much to do that. Like, well, okay, 
you know, I trust what you're saying and everything, but let me see it for myself. Let me see with my own two eyes. And time is of the essence in these sorts of things. So, you know, seeing it there, it might give him a little relief that nothing's going on or know they're on to something. You know, I just right. thought, I was like, wow, that's like a police officer would do that. That's so smart and yeah. so bold for him to be able to do that. Well, Derek was really like from the second that he realized that his sister was missing, he really took on the whole thing. You know, he took the weight of it all on his own shoulders and he was really, I guess, spearheading this whole investigation kind of thing. It was really sweet to see how involved he was right from the start of the story. So Jose's story was that while he was at Pam's house, they had gotten into this argument and they broke up. And he said he didn't have any idea what happened to Pam after he left in the early morning hours of February 13th. So Jose actually would go on later to tell the police that this was like the worst fight he's ever had in his life. Like this is according to him. He said he was so broken up about this terrible, terrible fight that he and Pam had and that she was really putting him down and getting on to him for not really having steady employment and all these things. And he said that it was just like soul crushing to him, this argument that he had and this breakup that they had. So he told that story also to Pam's brother that they had this argument and then it actually ended with their relationship ending. And he was, of course, saying that he was very distraught right. about it. But after this conversation that Jose and Derek had, a missing persons report was finally filed on Pam. Derek left Jose's apartment thinking, you know, this is just a terrible thing that's happened. And after looking through all of his belongings and checking him out, like we talked about a little bit ago, he said that he felt like Jose was innocent. He wasn't, you know, didn't have anything to do with Pam's death. Right. So before we get into the rest of the details of this story, we're going to take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast. When you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe there's something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. Mother's Day was last Sunday, and I woke up with a card, a bag of sour gummy worms, and a migraine. Migraines are the worst, but the only thing that could possibly make it any worse is traveling to the doctor with all the kids to talk to someone in person about your migraines. That's why Cove is so great. Cove offers a path to treating your migraines from the convenience of your own home. A doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in the state you live in reviews your symptoms and then determines what the best course of treatment is for you. The doctor is also the one who prescribes the monthly medications you need and oversees your progress. 
Best of all, your personalized supply of medication is delivered directly to your door. If you don't have medical insurance, that's okay. The cost for your doctor consultation and first month of treatment is $30 with or without medical insurance. All medication prescribed by Cove Doctors is FDA approved, and they offer both acute and preventative medication, which is paramount in treating migraines. When I reached out to Cove, I was able to discuss my symptoms with a doctor right here in Florida who was able to put me on a treatment plan that is specific to what I need. The doctor also followed up with me after I had started on my treatment plan to see if any adjustments needed to be made. Best of all, I was able to do this all through email. If you suffer from migraine headaches, the last thing you need is to wait and see a doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, you'll get your doctor consultation and first month of treatment for just $30. No medical insurance required. Visit withcove.com slash momsandmurder. Again, if you suffer from migraine headaches, the last thing you need is to wait to see a doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get you the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, you'll get your doctor's consultation and a first month of treatment for just $30 with no medical insurance required. Visit withcove.com slash momsandmurder. And now back to the episode. So Pam's brother has talked to Jose and really feels like Jose has nothing to do with what's going on. He's concerned about Pam as well. So police searched Pam's house several times throughout the investigation. And while the house was in an unusual state of disarray, there was no evidence of a crime ever having been committed there. There was no blood or any sign of a struggle. Police searched Jose's apartment and car, all with his complete cooperation. He even supplied them willingly with a DNA sample. Surveillance footage was pulled from Pam's cameras, and it really seemed to corroborate Jose's story. On the footage, you can see clearly where Pam arrives home after work, and then Jose is coming over, walks in the door, carrying flowers. Later, you see Jose leaving and coming back a few times, which he explained was him moving his stuff out of her house. The police weren't sure that he had done anything to Pam. He had really been cooperative this whole time, and there was no evidence that he had done anything to hurt her. There's no evidence that anything's happened at all. Right. The police looked further into Jose's record and found that he really only had minor run-ins with the law. He had no serious criminal record, and he had never spent any time in jail. He wasn't totally removed as a suspect, however, because he was still the last person to see Pam. The camera footage from Pam's house never showed Pam leaving the house. Her purse, her keys, and both cars were still there, and it just seemed like she had vanished into thin air. Crime scene techs even pulled up floorboards to make sure... If she had been murdered, her body hadn't been stuffed in some secret place in the house, and that's why they never saw her leave the house. What police weren't aware of at this point was that this wasn't a completely unique situation for Jose. Jose had actually been married to a woman in the late 80s and early 90s named Marta. So they had a son together during their marriage. Police in Virginia were called by Marta after she said that Jose had kidnapped her and assaulted her, and he was arrested and charged with kidnapping and sexual assault following that phone call. The reports were not clear if this was the relationship that had earned him his dishonorable discharge from the Army or if it was in regards to a different relationship, because the charges in this case were dropped when Marta failed to show up for court. The police ended up tracking down Marta through her social security number and found her in Florida where she was living with relatives. So the case of her disappearance, in the police's opinion, was now closed. They thought they had found her. She had seemingly just wanted to get away from Jose and move on with her life. But of course, without her son, she did not take her son with her. At this point, Jose had also moved on and gotten married again and raised his son with his second wife. 
because police were not aware of Jose's previous history of violence due to charges being dropped in those cases, they began pursuing other suspects in Pamela's disappearance. Police started looking at Pam's brother, Derek, after receiving anonymous messages from someone claiming that Derek and Pam were not as close as what Derek would have the police believe. We said before that Derek and Pam were actually business partners as well as brother and sister, and they did these real estate things. Rumors existed that Pam was looking to dissolve the partnership with her brother because they were losing money as the value of their investment property started to decrease. This was rumored to be a source of a lot of tension, really, between the two of them. Derek happened to be the beneficiary in Pam's will, and the police were starting to think that he may have been upset at the thought of losing this partnership and had a motive to kill his sister for financial gain. To Derek, this was an absolutely ridiculous and absurd idea. He was the one, of course, that we said from the beginning was committed really to pressuring the police to take this case seriously and to look for Pam. But nonetheless, he was questioned numerous times throughout the investigation. But again, throughout all of this, he was very cooperative and he was still the one that was the most committed to keeping his sister's story alive and out there in the media. He just he was he wanted to do whatever the police you know needed to move on from right thinking that he had something to do with it so that they could continue looking for his sister. The police also looked at Pam's nephew, Brandon, who we said had lived with her as a possible suspect. He had recently moved out of Pam's home at her request, but there wasn't really a clear reason given as to why she asked him to move out. But he did still have a key to her house, so the police couldn't ignore the fact that he would have been somebody who would have had access to Pam and to her things. So seven years passed in this case with no new suspects and absolutely no leads. The police hadn't totally cleared Derek or Jose, and they continued to question both of them throughout the years, but the case was officially a cold case. In 2016, Pam's family had a judge declare her legally dead. There was no sightings of her at this point. There's no financial record. You know, she hasn't been using her bank cards or accessing her bank accounts. Her family had simply accepted that she was probably gone. This declaration also allowed cold case detective Mike Fulton to investigate this case as an unsolved homicide. The thing I find interesting about, you know, it turning into a cold case is that now it does go out of the hands of one detective into a new detective's hands where, you know, right. there's new eyes on it. And there's, I would imagine that has to be, you know, you've worked with these people all along, but it's got to be nice to kind of say, okay, maybe there's a new set of eyes. Maybe somebody will see something the other guys didn't see. It was Mike Fulton that dug deeper into Jose's past and found out about his first wife disappearing after filing these charges against him. So he reached out to Jose's son to get his story. The son said that he lived in constant terror of his father. He told Dateline that one night he recalls hiding in the study of their house as Jose was threatening his second wife with a gun in her face, telling her he was going to shoot her and his son in their sleep. Just terrifying. And being a little kid hearing that, oh my gosh, this is the person you trust. Your mom's not there anymore. Now you have your dad and his wife. And, you know, and now you're hearing that he, he could kill you. He could kill her. He could kill you. So this detective also wanted to track down Marta Rodriguez, who police had reportedly found living in Florida. When Detective Fulton got hold of a photo of the woman claiming to be Marta Rodriguez, he quickly compared it to the photo they had of Marta and realized this woman looked nothing like the real Marta. It absolutely was not her. 
So during this time, Detective Fulton got a DNA sample from Jose and Marta's son. Unexpectedly, a hit actually came back from the database to a Jane Doe, whose remains were found in 1991 by Civil War relic hunters in Stafford County, Virginia, along I-95. The remains were confirmed through facial reconstruction and DNA evidence to be Marta Rodriguez. So who is this woman that's assumed her identity in Florida? The woman was actually the sister of Jose's second wife, the one he had threatened to shoot in her sleep. Jose apparently gave her all of Marta's documents, her social security card, her birth certificate, because she was actually living undocumented in the U.S. And Marta, quote, this is quoting Jose, didn't need them anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So this whole time they think Marta's just gone. There's no charges. This guy's record looks really good. And this other person's assumed her identity. So now there's two women who have disappeared and one has turned up dead. They're both connected to Jose. So we're going to get more into this story after one last break from this week's sponsors. As a woman, my monthly cycle is something I've been aware of literally for decades, but that doesn't mean I fully understand it. And while I've used those popular period tracking apps, there is still a margin of error with those. Luckily, Ava is here to help us make sense out of our bodies and our cycles. Although Ava bracelets are super comfortable and stylish, you only need to wear them at night when you're sleeping. You can go to sleep wearing it and wake up with tons of insight into your health and your natural cycle. And Ava provides super fascinating insight into a woman's cycle and health, which includes data on sleep quality and quantity, or lack thereof, physiological stress, your resting pulse rate, and more. With fertility tracking, Ava takes away the guessing games and is clinically proven to be able to detect the five most fertile days of your cycle. There's no longer a need to chart your cycle like the scientist you may or may not be. Either way, Ava makes it easy for you. I just ordered my tracker and I can't wait to start tracking with Ava. Ladies, it's finally time to understand your body. Visit avawomen.com to learn more. And for listeners of our show, you can receive $20 off your order by going to avawomen.com slash moms and using our code moms. That's avawomen.com slash moms, code moms, for wherever you are in life. We are just three weeks away from CrimeCon, and if you think we haven't kicked our healthy eating and gear, you are sorely mistaken. But we know that a healthy body and healthy lifestyle doesn't happen overnight, and that's why we've both been working with Noom for the past several months. Noom is not a diet, but it is a healthy and easy to stick to way of life. With Noom, no food is good, bad, or off limits. Noom knows there are holidays and weekends and just because meals, so they help teach you moderation where you can still enjoy foods you love. Plus, Noom can be used in conjunction with many pre-existing and popular diets if that's what you choose to do. Noom also includes one of the biggest and most accurate food databases available that lets you track your meal habits, visualize portion sizes, which is always a struggle of mine, and see calorie density at a glance. One of my favorite things about the app is the daily knowledge provided to me. Noom has given me simple and practical ways to make better choices that I really wouldn't know because sometimes I'm too lazy to Google and research anything on my own. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash moms. Again, to kickstart your weight loss journey, sign up for your trial today by going to noom.com slash moms. That's noom.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. So now that police have realized that there are two women who have been connected to Jose in the past that have disappeared, the police were now confident that Jose had also caused Pam's death and they had plenty of circumstantial evidence to arrest him at this point. 
they wanted to really move fast on Jose because now at this time he was living with a new girlfriend who had a young daughter. In April of 2017, police arrested Jose Rodriguez Cruz on first-degree murder charges for the death of Pamela Butler. Detective Fulton was so relieved to finally arrest Jose that he actually called Derek at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell him that he got this guy and that he locked him up. Prosecutors Deborah Sines and Glenn Kirshner were assigned to this case, and they are really known as heavy hitter attorneys and I saw like some video clips of them and they were kind of intimidating as attorneys. I'm sure they're amazing prosecuting attorneys, but they are a little bit intimidating. I was shaking my boots just watching them talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I haven't done anything, but I would probably confess to anything because they just have that kind of presence that you're just like, oh, I've probably done something wrong. I'll tell you whatever you need to know. <laughs> so Pam's family was actually more concerned with finding her body and bringing her home to be laid to rest. They wanted to give her a proper burial. They were more concerned with that than they were with Jose spending the rest of his life behind bars. Derek said in a statement to a news outlet that it was important to the family because if she was laying out somewhere, she is still missing to us. We want to bring her home and know exactly where she is. So that was a quote by her brother, Derek. Signs and Kirshner approached Jose with a plea agreement that if he would confess and lead them to Pam's body, they would reduce the charges to second degree murder. In his confession, Jose said that he went over to Pam's house on February 13th and that they had a fight about his inability to get a job, and Jose had accused her at one point of seeing someone else. The fight escalated, and Jose said that he punched her, causing her to fall to the ground, where he then climbed on top of her and choked her to death. Prosecutors wanted to know how he got her body out of the house without being detected by all these security cameras that Pam had. Jose said that he had put Pam's body in a large black trash bag, and then he put the trash bag out of that dining room window that we talked about that had the blind that was, you know, pulled up from the bottom that was unusual. So that window actually happened to be one of the only parts of Pam's house that was not in view of a camera. And he would have been somebody who would know something like that since he had been, you know, he had been at Pam's house numerous times. Wow. He proceeded to put her body in the trunk of his car and buried her in the median of one of the busiest freeways in the country. It was a rather grassy area with trees between the north and southbound lanes of I-95 in Stafford County, Virginia. This location also happened to be just about one mile away from the location that he had allegedly dumped Marta's body almost 30 years earlier. When police and cadaver dogs went to locate and extract Pam's body, they made the heartbreaking discovery that the exact location where Jose said that he put Pam's body had actually been paved over by HOV lanes that were put in in between the time of Pam's disappearance and Jose's confession. So I was a little confused on this because it seems to me I I mean, there's you know how much road work we have in Florida, especially on our highways Constantly. and everything. And it's something that we see a lot of. And so I was kind of surprised that if her remains were there where Jose said that they were going to be, it would seem to me that they would have been uncovered during like excavating and getting ready to pave this road. They don't just lay down asphalt you know they have like things they do to the ground and stuff so I just thought right. I just thought it was really interesting I'm not saying that he was making it up or making up the location I just thought it was interesting right. that if there had been construction on that site that they never would have found anything then yeah and there's no way he dug this like eight foot hole right you know he's in in between a median or he's on a median which is the craziest place to me 
that you would bear, bury somebody on a road where people are just driving by you all day long, just incredibly busy. Like I, I can't even comprehend that. But yeah, I, I don't understand how they never came across it at that point either. But also they weren't looking for it. Right. So once they discovered that this area had been paved over, they knew there was really no way that they would be able to dig, you know, and look for Pam's remains to be able to return her to her family, which is just really, really so, so heartbreaking. It's the most heartbreaking thing in this case. So Jose agreed to take this plea deal and tell them, you know, all this information. So he received a 12-year sentence for pleading guilty to second-degree murder. Derek Butler is currently working with Jose's son to get justice for his mother, Marta Rodriguez. Police do believe that he is responsible for Marta's death. And Derek claims that police have assured him after Marta's remains were discovered that charges were going to be pending against Jose. However, no such charges have been filed. Derek has made many attempts to contact the county prosecutor, Eric Olson, for new information regarding the case. And the answer always comes back to the same thing, which is that they are investigating it. They are moving forward. But Derek hasn't really gotten a lot of clear cut answers on what exactly is being done in this case. Jose Rodriguez Cruz is currently serving his 12 year sentence at a federal prison and could be eligible for early release in only eight years. Wow. Yeah. Lots of thoughts on this whole thing. Yeah. Like, I, oh, one thing that um, Derek says is that, you know, when he was asked, like, do you think the police handled this case well? He said, while it was going on, no, I didn't. But after I realized how many different things were going on with it, and I felt like they did a good job. So while it was going on, he was just very upset. And obviously, they were looking at him like a million times. But that Detective Fulton said, you know, I couldn't tell Derek, hey, we're not looking at you. We're looking at Jose. Like, we really think we've got something on him. We have this, you know, the Marta situation. He can't tell them all of that, you know. They can't – they have to hold their cards to themselves. And so I felt bad for Derek even knowing that, like, cloud of suspicion is over him. Yeah. You know, it's his sister. That would just be incredibly heartbreaking for somebody to even kind of think that you could be responsible for something like that with your sister. And – Mandy and I talked about this off mic a little while ago, but isn't it bizarre? I'll repeat it to you, Mandy, and now I'll tell everyone. The note that Derek, I'm sorry, the note that Jose left at Pam's house was like, or in the recording, the um, voicemail was like, hey, what time are we picking up your mom? What time are we getting her? But if they just broke up the day before and had this messy breakup, why on earth would they be bringing her mom out? For lunch or for dinner. That doesn't make any sense. Like, why yeah, didn't the police no. were more, why weren't they more suspicious of that? That's crazy to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And my gosh, last thing, because <laughs> <laughs> this kind of drove me crazy in the whole thing. Like, she goes into the house and she never comes out. She's not a magician. Somebody took her out, and you only have one person that's coming in and out of the house a million times. I get that they have to have evidence, but. I guess that Marta thing, and he had no charges. I mean, they were dropped, so there's nothing on his record, but he really has been involved in these things. I don't know. It just it stinks all the way around. Yeah. I mean, I kind of was surprised, though. And I know, like, sometimes details get overlooked. Like you said, sometimes it does take a fresh set of eyes on a case to be able to really see, like, you know, what is what are you missing? But I was kind of surprised that they didn't realize that about the window like earlier on as well, like you would think that they would have realized that that window wasn't covered by the security tapes. 
Right. Right. So that you would think that that would have been an option. Like I would think that that would be one of the first things they would look at is like, you know, what can we see on these tapes and what can we not see on these tapes? And then especially that like in conjunction with having the blinds pulled up and everything like you would have thought they might have pieced that together a little bit earlier on and kind of at least thought of it as a possibility. But but they, you know, Derek and his mom could have said to each other, it's really weird that these blinds are put up. But to the police officers that don't know her, they're like, well, people do weird things. You know, you don't know. So for them, it might not have been such a weird thing for her to have done. Whereas to Derek and, you know, their mom, it's a big, big deal. But if the family is telling you it's a big deal, know. you know, I feel like you have to take, put weight into and that. They might have. They may have. They just may, I mean, but it's all very circumstantial and there's- the guys being cooperative. They're doing, you know, everything. They're doing everything they can, I guess. But I did think it was interesting when Derek was asked about that. And he was like, yeah, after I could see what they were doing. But during it, I just didn't feel like, you know, we would ever get here. So I'm glad they were able to convict him. Yeah. I'm hopeful that they can get further in Marta's case with whatever happened in that one. Before we do our last thing, before we go, I wanted to, well, we wanted to say a hello to one of our favorite listeners. You're all our favorites, but like a little favorite. Can we say favorite? Everybody's a favorite. But okay, yeah. this one, this favorite's name is Marcella. And Marcella, we love you so much. And um, we're thinking of you and your family. Um, Marcella's daughter is in the hospital right now and they are going through some medical issues and we're really pulling for them but we wanted to say hello to her lovely daughter delilah who is the sweetest thing on the entire earth seriously it's so cute and so sweet so we wanted to say hi a very belated happy birthday to you and we hope this year is your best one yet hi delilah Melissa did all the talking. Yeah, Melissa didn't let me get a word in. So, but I say hi also. You know what? Interject. <laughs> what you got? What did I miss? You add. You, you did it so beautifully. Yes, we love you, Marcella, and whole family. Love the whole for family. All of you. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to do our last thing before we go, as per usual. And the first question we have this week comes from Rachel P. in our Facebook group. She wants to know if we could eliminate one food so that no one would eat it ever again. What food would you pick to destroy? Melissa, I'm going to let you go first because you know I am not a very picky eater. Ooh, okay. This one's kind of a toss-up for me. Number one, one of the worst foods of all time is tuna fish. <gasps> tuna fish. What? I love tuna. Tuna fish. I love tuna. Are you kidding? Like tuna fish? Like, like actual? Well, I, I keep okay. adding the word fish like it makes it totally different. <laughs> okay, so I, I like tuna from a can and I also like like a oh. tuna steak. I love ahi tuna. Oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? Okay, tuna fish will make everything smell. If somebody eats tuna fish within a three-mile radius of you, <laughs> you can smell it. I hate the smell of it. People's mouths sound wet when they eat it, and that bothers me. And they try and put it on crackers and ruin perfectly good crackers, so that's all upsetting. <laughs> And the other thing I hate is fish tacos. And I know you <gasps> like fish tacos. What? what? My husband always gets them. And they're so, like, I don't even like the two words together for some reason. Like, it just <laughs> upsets me. <laughs> it's very upsetting. I think those are stinky. I'm not a big taco fan. I like the insides of tacos. But why are we going to add fish to the inside <laughs> of it? That's its own, like, thing. Like, go away. 
<laughs> okay, so I understand about the tuna thing. I am a respectful tuna consumer, and I make sure that I only eat tuna in the privacy of my own home, and I don't take it out, and I would never, like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I worked in an office, and my boss was like, if you bring in tuna fish, I will throw it away. Like, that was just it. You just knew not to bring tuna. He would just throw it away. He would go in the refrigerator and throw it away. Like, you knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Nobody would eat tuna fish in the office. I mean, I guess that's – it's a good office policy, I guess. I don't like stinky mm-hmm. food at all in, like, a confined space. Like, I hate it when people bring food on airplanes that they got at the airport, but it's, like, mm. it's like hot prepared food or whatever. I'm only saying that because this just happened to me on my flight up here. There was a lady that was eating something in front of me, and it was just – I just – couldn't take the smell. I don't like food smells like when I'm not eating or you know what I mean? I just don't want to smell yeah. your food. I don't care what it is, really. <laughs> I know. Mm-mm. And in a plane, like there's lots of smells going on. And so combining food with not food with the opposite of food yeah. is too much for it's me. Awful. Well, I feel icky now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have like tried to think of one because like I said, you guys I've said it before. I will eat almost anything. I'm really not picky. I have a very refined palate, unlike Melissa. But I don't know. Okay, so the only thing I could just come up with, this just popped into my head. So every time I go to the grocery store, my kids love to torture me by showing me the big trays of chicken feet. Have you seen this? Where are you shopping? (laughs) I have never seen a chicken foot Outside of like a small oh little gosh. bodega. It's like in the meat section, they have it with all the other chicken, but it's no. like on a little tray and it's got like the saran wrap or whatever. It's got like plastic wrap over the top and it's just a bunch of chicken feet. And my kids are always like, ew, let's get these. I'm like, and do what with them? I don't know what anyone does with them. I don't know why they're Torture for sale. your chickens. <laughs> just, I don't know that somebody's eating them or maybe they just make stock with it or something. I don't know. I would ban the sale of chicken feet at grocery stores. That's like all I oh. care about. Yeah, right? That is not normal, right? What about liver? Do you eat liver? I don't eat liver. Okay. I mean, I don't think... It's an organ. I know. I don't eat any organs. I'm not an organ meat kind of person. I wouldn't eat brain or tongue or anything like that. I mean, I don't want to ban it, though. I just feel like people can eat whatever they want, but... Or, okay, liver, my grandfather made us eat liver and onion one time, my sister and I, and I put mustard on it because I thought that would make it better. It doesn't make things better. I promise you. It made it way, way worse. (laughs) I can't think of liver without that. But yeah, I, yeah, I think my big ban would just be tuna fish. I just don't really have an aversion to any kind of food. I can honestly say, like, I don't really hate anything that much that I would want. You hate lemon heads. I don't hate them. Oh, I thought you hated them. No, I'll eat them if I don't have any other candy nearby. (laughs) Okay, so the other question is one that I kind of came up with. Actually, it was inspired by a question I saw in our Facebook group, I think. But then it made me think of this because I know that I have one. So I want to see if you do. So. So also, if you were the inspiration, Mandy ripped you off. (laughs) And if you're hearing this question right now and you're like, man, that sounds like a question I had, Mandy's taking your credit. So congratulations, (laughs) Mandy, for ruining somebody's day. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. So if you could change your name to anything, what would it be? Or when you were younger, did you ever wish, did you have a certain name that you ever thought, like, if I was going to change my name, I wish this was what I could change it to? All right. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. So I, for some reason... Growing up when I was 
even really, really young, like maybe as young as like nine and then all the way through my teen years. I don't know why I always wished my name was Kelly. And I don't know. I don't I never knew anybody named Kelly, but I always just loved that. Well, I mean, I have a cousin named Kelly. You never knew anybody named Kelly. (laughs) What? (laughs) I actually have a cousin named Kelly, but I I didn't like grow up around her like all that. I wasn't with her all the time, but I didn't have any friends or anyone. I don't know why that was like I was stuck on that. Now that I think of it, that was so weird that I had a cousin named Kelly and like I just wanted to steal steal her name. So I liked Kelly and then there was this other girl that, oh my gosh, she was so mean to me. It was like a friend of me. I like thought she was my best friend and she really wasn't. She was so mean. But her name was Elise and I always wanted her name too for a while. I was like, I love that name. Like I wish that was my name. I shouldn't even give her that. I wish I could skin you and wear you as clothes. (laughs) Change your name. She was something. I thought she was my good friend. And I just feel like I'm giving her too much airtime now for what she did to me. (laughs) I had a group of friends and they wrote a song about me on a cassette tape. And it was not a nice song. And I will not sing the words, but just know that I can hear the words in my mouth, in my head. And they were terrible and they told me when I heard it it was a nice song and I said okay and it was not it was like your teeth are green it was really (gasps) oh no yeah 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 I don't know if I can get through this okay so (laughs) wait is this a song Melissa your teeth are big and green Melissa you smell like gasoline is that like words (laughs) was that words to like a kid song everybody sang and they just put your name in it or was that written specifically for me (laughs) I have never heard that then guess what? Somebody wrote a song about me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So I don't think I ever really um, wanted a different name. I didn't like my name. I, I, There was always like several Melissas. I had a cousin named Melissa. She was big Melissa. I was little Melissa. So it was just a name everybody had. Always had several Melissas in your class. And I had a best friend named Marissa. So that was always interesting. But as a, I remember going through a time where I wanted to be called Marianne. I don't know how much I what? talked about it or anything. <laughs> From the Babysitter's Club. I love those books. I wanted to be her. I wanted to find my Logan one day. It was a whole thing for me. Marianne is like an old lady that goes to your church's name. Like, I feel like that's like the classic. I don't know. Hey, everyone named Marianne. <laughs> Please write us and put attention Mandy in the subject line and tell us how old you are because Mandy has spoken very poorly of your name. I think it's a beautiful name. And I'm not child, saying it's not a beautiful name. name. I'm just saying a child for a child to say they want to be named that. I don't know. <laughs> Marianne was from Gilligan's Island. She was a hottie too. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to be named Marianne. But I always people always thought my middle name was Anne. That's very common with Melissa Anne for some reason. And so I think that was kind of part of it that I came up with that. But mostly Babysitter's Club. I miss the Babysitter's Club. It's really one of the highlights of my life. I would read those books in the bathroom over and over again. So, okay. <laughs> and just just for the record, I respect everyone named Marianne. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh goodness, Mandy. Yeah, no, Mandy does not think anybody's name is terrible. No. I mean, she wanted to be friends with somebody who she like <laughs> didn't even like her, so she wanted their name. So she clearly does not have taste in names. Don't worry, Marianne's. I'm here for you. All right, guys, that was our episode for this week. We will see you back next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. 
please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.